Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about seeking shelter in places that are familiar and places that aren't. I'm Alan Combs. And I'm Christine Porch. Today's theme is tolerable uncertainty. We have no concept of what that means, but I am finding immense pleasure because Alan is having to stand up to record this. <laughs> and he is both holding his computer like listen, a hymnal. Listen. And also has his hands behind his back listen. like a choir boy. I, so what my, my tolerable uncertainty right now is, am I certain about wanting to do this podcast with you? I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you should have rethought that about a so, week ago. Yeah, thinking about it. All right. Tolerable uncertainty. Let's hunker down. The reason we want to talk about uncertainty today is that we want to think through what it means to uh, live in an uncertain time. Certainly the time of COVID-19 is an uncertain time. And so uh, we figure there's probably a relationship between how you deal with uncertainty in general and these particular uncertain times. Christine, how do you feel like you uh, respond to uncertainty in your own life? Um, I break kind of crazy that no one could have seen or anticipated. What is what does that look like in your life? Um, I, I, I could either go one of two ways. I, I kind of either get super controlling, right? I, and that's part of what I'm dealing with with this particular thing, right? I'm, I'm trying to anticipate everything I possibly can because how my brain works is worst case scenario, right? And then if you roll back from the worst case scenario, then all of a sudden I can stop worrying, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a whole level of you know, there's, there's a whole level of, um, illusion in that too, of course, because I have no idea what the future is going to bring, but it just makes me feel better to imagine what it might be at its worst and then kind of have a plan for that. So what does it look like for you to tolerate uncertainty? Um, it's, (laughs) it's just that it's just like, I'm like, I'm going to tolerate it because I come up with a plan and then I am going to not have to worry about it now. Right. Right. And that makes sense. Part of what we're trying to do is to think about the ways in which um, this time of uncertainty um, creates uh, space for us to uh, think about things we wouldn't normally be thinking about. Do you feel like that's happening at all for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 is exactly what's happening, right? Like that's, in fact, why we started doing this podcast was because we were discussing between right. our families the issue that this brings out like a little bit of all of our crazy, right? So, you know, one of the things that one of my girlfriends said to me, um, which I think was really wise, was that everyone kind of responds to these kinds of crises out of their own trauma. And it doesn't have to be capital T trauma. It could be small T trauma. But they respond out of their own, sorry for the cuss word shit, right? It's their own stuff that comes out. And so ultimately for me, that looks like how do I... That's the only time you've ever apologize to me for cussing. I know. Well, I'm really just apologizing to the people in the audience that are going to care, (laughs) but trust me, there will be podcasts where I do cuss. It's in the large audience, the large number of people (laughs) who will be listening right now. Out of the 14, I'm sure 12 would be offended. And so the point I'm making though, is that there is a resonance of, with, of that for me, like that makes sense to me that that is kind of your, you have these neural pathways that are just hard carved right in your head. And that when you're presented with something that's scary, you go straight to those defaults. I wonder if there's some kind of relationship um, between um, tolerating this kind of uncertainty and just sort of like your your how comfortable you are in general with uncertainty, right? Because one of the things I see like in my own life as a pastor is that people have sort of different levels of comfort with, with uncertainty and certainty. And so sometimes the reason that I think folks are attracted to particular brands of churches, I hate to say brands, but that's, let's just say that's what they are. Um, brands of Jesus. Brands of Jesus. Uh, but like part of why they're attracted to them is because certain, certain congregations and certain versions of Christianity present 
uh, a very strong presentation of certainty, right? So the Bible yeah, right. says exactly this thing, and this is the only thing that it can say, or right. this is how you have to vote, or how you have to be or exist in the world, and it's the only way to do it. And 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 so I think I think that in uncertainty, people are looking for that kind of certainty, and it makes them it attracts them to that kind of church, you know? Yeah, it's a fun. I mean, there, it, it is the loose the small F, right. Of fundamentalism, right. Like it's, a, right. and that's not just in churches, right. That's in everything that's in motherhood. There's a weird motherhood fundamentalism that comes up. There's what a, do you mean? what I mean is this, this, this need to be so certain that your path of motherhood is, is the correct path. So most of my friends, right. I was, I was, I had my kids way later than they had kids, not way later, <laughs> But later, yeah, it so sounds like, like I was Sarah a decade behind from Abraham. Yeah, like I was, I was an octogenarian. So basically, I had my kids later, and everyone wanted to give me advice, right? Which you know how I deal with advice, which is that's your favorite. It's like give me the input, but just don't expect yeah, it. I like when people give us advice on how to do this podcast, yeah. <laughs> and then I say that's nice, but no, I'm not gonna do it that way. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point is, is they would tell me these advice on sleeping, and oh, you need to read this book and this book, and I, and it was so overwhelming, right? So when I'm faced with something that is crisis-y like that, right? And having a kit is a kind of crisis. It is a complete and total change in your expectations and your and your the demands on you. Well, I remember you talked about one, that one um, one of our somebody we both know uh, who's who had done this a lot long, longer. Are we going to are we going to talk parents. bad about somebody right now? No, no, no. no. We're talking good. <laughs> no, remember uh, the the woman who said, you know, Christine. Sometimes you just got to take him ice cream for dinner. Oh yeah. Oh God, I love that. Right. Woman. Like that's like that, that yeah. was a gift to you because that woman's it, it, my hero. Yes. Yeah. I mean, same too. She's one of our neighbors, and we love her. I, I mean, that's. I mean, that for no, you it, know, it liberate me. So w- at these you, times, yeah. right? I I think I have to have a worst case scenario plan, but then I also need to feel like there aren't rules that I have to follow that I'm going to be held to. No, I don't mean rules like wash your hands and don't go in crowds and things like that. I mean rules like how can I creatively, right, respond to this? How can I respond to this maybe outside the box in a way that wouldn't, wouldn't maybe would feel scary for other people, but it doesn't feel scary for me. What feels scary for me, by the way, is doing nothing. Everybody kind of needs to do whatever they need to do to get by. Yeah, but I think we all need to be looking at what those responses are and wondering, right. do, do we need to challenge ourselves to something different? Yeah. So for example, right? Like I, I have no idea when this is going to end, but I'm responsible for a staff of folks that I need right. to continue to employ because for me, it's not the loss of revenue. It's the loss of people. Like if I lose the people that we've spent 17 years building a team of, I can't, I can't replace them as easily as my friends in Northern Virginia or in Chicago or in New York. And so it, that's the stressor for me, right? It's not my kids and school and that kind of stuff because we all know I'm a benignly neglectful mother. But it yes, is. Yes, so if, if anybody doesn't know, the title of Christine's mothering uh, book is actually called "Are the Kids Around?" Okay, <laughs> no. Okay, good. <laughs> it's true, um, but you know the point I'm making is that that I don't feel the pressure to have whatever is performative motherhood is I mean, like. It's almost like motherhood is performative art. I don't feel any pressure to have motherhood right. as performative art. But I do feel an enormous amount of pressure and responsibility to the people that that work with me and that have um, had to do this hard transition along with us. And I don't mean hard transition to working at home. I mean hard transition. We're all kind of, you know, suffering in our own ways. Right. We did a check-in this morning, and the check-in was um, two people were crying. 
Um, one was sort of like, you know, crying and sort of raging. <laughs> Some of them were like, I picked up a new hobby. Like everybody's response to this sort of tones to their personality. Like it tends toward what their personality is at, at its base. So if they are naturally sort of Pollyanna, then it, they tend to be sort of very hopeful and I'm making the best of this, right? And I think my personality is fluctuates between those two things. Like it's good right now, but it sucked three hours and I think ago. Privately, a lot of people's do too. But I think, and I think, but I think part of part of the exercise of this time is thinking about how to sort of in, like find places where we can em- embrace uncertainty, and then find the places where we also have to sort of deal with uncertainty in a more structured way. And I think from a sort of like a like a larger like if you sort of like we're talking about a very specific kind of of uncertainty in terms of parenting during this time and working during this time. But if we blow it back sort of larger uh, and sort of look at the larger scale is, is what does it mean for us as people who are engaging this to think about uncertainty without sort of toppling into fundamentalisms? Cause like for religious folks, there's certain ways that you fall into fundamentalisms where God where is certain, protecting me from this illness. Right. Yeah. And just even just like that, like this is how this has to be, or even just the, I mean, as, I mean the worst version of it is the hot garbage. That's like, you know, that, that we did something and therefore got, you know, it's like God's hand is over top of, of the nation. And because we did this or that suddenly God removed it, you know, which is, I mean, that's that, a, it's a very thin theology, right? And it, it, I mean, it's thin in certain ways, but it's basis is sort of baked into who we are because like, right from the very beginning of the country, like Winthrop and the Puritans are saying this kind I mean, of stuff. I mean, Jonathan Edwards centers in the hands of an angry God, right? That spider dangling right. over That's the, what I'm saying the, yeah, that at some point, right? Like we're always dangling over the fire and, and, and stuff like COVID-19 is evidence that if we're not careful, the wrath of God will, I mean, that, that is just hot garbage. That, that's not, that's, that I don't believe is happening in this moment. But I think, you know, so some people are retreating to sort of their religious fundamentalisms, but then there are other people who are also, you could probably argue, are retreating to sort of like political fundamentalisms. Yeah. Or, and I think back to the religious one though, for a second, there's also people who are very much, I don't, you know, you can say God protects all you want to, but the reality is, is that there is no one religion, no one particular denomination, no one set of beliefs that is going to completely isolate you from an illness in a fallen world. So like, to me, it's just kind of crazy. If we all agree in the Christian traditions that it's a fallen world, I don't understand why people actually think they might not get sick. I, I think that's so weird. So today on the show, we're going to chat with Jamie Sneed. Jamie's a mother. Jamie's a wife. Um, Jamie is an executive of a local nonprofit. She's super involved in a number of other nonprofits. And we're going to chat with her about how uh, this particular ac- epidemic has required her to kind of live with the, the, the uncertainty and especially in light of um, raising a child who has a genetic disorder. And uh, Jamie's going to kind of explore that with us, and we will be right back. SipTequila.com is a curated collection of high-end tequilas that can be shipped directly to your door. From crystal clear Blanco tequilas to older tequilas aged for six years in red wine barrels, SipTequila.com has something for everyone, novices and aficionados alike. Their white glove delivery service gets the bottles to you safely and securely with their very cute lids wherever you are in the United States. When your bottle arrives, follow along with their tasting notes and education for the full agave experience. Shop, ship, and sip with siptequila.com. Mention that you heard this on our podcast with code SHELTER, S-H-E-L-T-E-R, and you'll get free shipping. Siptequila.com. 
All right, welcome back to Shelter in Place. Uh, we are here with our guest, uh, Jamie Sneed. Jamie is a wife, a mother of three girls, one with a rare genetic condition that leaves her with a compromised immune system. She's also a vice president at a local nonprofit and an advocate in the disabilities community. Um, she serves in a leadership role with several organizations whose missions are to improve the lives of people with disabilities. Uh, Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, like all of us, just trying to live one day at a time. Right. And so the question that we always ask first on Shelter in Place is um, talk a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and tell us about who you are sheltering with and where you're doing it. Sure. So I wear lots of hats. Like many of us, I'm a wife, I'm a mother of three, like you mentioned, wildly different girls um, who keep us on our toes. My full-time gig, the one that pays the bills um, is at a local nonprofit that serves children and families in the child welfare system and individuals with disabilities who cannot care for themselves on their own. And um, when I have a spare moment, um, I like to help raise money and awareness for gen the genetic syndrome that our middle daughter, Emmeline has. And we are um, sheltering in place right now for about 12 days. Um, it's my husband and I, we both work full time um, and since Schools are closed here in Virginia for the remainder of the school year. We're attempting to keep doing our day jobs while also homeschooling three of our children. Um, and we're fortunate to have some grandparents pitching in to help us so we can sneak away to jump on conference calls and connect with our teams and keep our projects moving forward. So, Jamie, what are, uh, in light of all of your um, both professional and sort of family um, challenges that you've described, what are you concerned about most with the present pandemic? I would say individuals like our daughter, Emmeline, um, both adults and children are weighing heavy on our family's decision to take the advice of our medical communities very seriously and shelter in place during the pandemic. Um, our daughter has a compromised immune system from the standpoint of um, her gene mutation has been studied to be an important part of the immune system of each of our immune systems and because we know hers is essentially misspelled or faulty we know that that makes her more susceptible to illnesses we've seen firsthand that she recovers much more slowly it takes a lot more effort for her to recover from ordinary illnesses so that's really a concern for us and also for individuals and children like her who are far more um, immunocompromised than she is. And what does that look like in a practical sense? What are you having to do? We're all sort of hunkered down and we're all, we're all, you know, making sure we wash our hands every 12 minutes, but what, what does that look like for you guys that's different from, you know, your average family? Right. So for us, it really means we, we are not, leaving the house um, except for the you know necessary out for a walk um, once a week trip to the grocery store um, we have gotten in the car just literally to drive around um, and get out of the house but we we are not going anywhere other than that um, it is we're not going to work we are not going to um, hang out at friends houses we are staying put tell me more about Emmeline. So Emmeline has a rare genetic syndrome. It's called DDX3X syndrome. It predominantly affects females, but there are actually a handful of males who are kind of the rarest of the rare who have DDX3X syndrome. Um, 
And like all genetic syndromes, there's a wide range of how it affects each individual. We're fortunate that Emmeline does generally have good health. She doesn't have seizures or anything like that, which most of the girls with DDX3X syndrome have. Um, that being said, um, she does have more developmental challenges than the average um, DDX3X child. She's completely nonverbal. She relies on sign language to communicate with us. She also is pretty unsteady on her feet. She just learned to walk when she was about five and a half and she's learning delayed. She has an intellectual disability that impairs her ability um, to learn like the average person, but probably the most fabulous trait of girls with DDX3X syndrome is their personalities. They are super social, um, incredibly loving, and Emmeline especially has this giggle. It's like this belly laugh that draws people to her. It's, it's pretty special, but it also means Emmeline does not understand social distancing whatsoever, um, and <laughs> yeah. she actually does not practice it ever. Um, anyone who's met her can um, attest to that. So combine that with the fact that she puts basically everything in her mouth because she's sensory seeking means she needs mm. to stay put, stay home, um, which is really hard for her. So in addition to your own family's experience of, of the pandemic, um, we would like you to talk a little bit more about the marginal communities that you serve in your work life. Like how are they experiencing the pandemic? What is the experience of their anxiety in this time and what, and what does that look like uh, for you in your work and for the work with those families? Sure. So I have a pretty amazing day job. I get to work for a local nonprofit, DePaul Community Resources, where we help children and teens heal from trauma and abuse, um, typically in foster homes or adoptive homes, but also through community-based services like independent living services for adults who've aged out of the foster care system or outpatient counseling. And we also work with adults with disabilities, oftentimes um, dual disabilities. And this situation has been typically difficult for our organization because our work is so dependent on human interaction, on being with the people who need us. Um, I'm not a social worker by education, um, but I work with incredible social workers who really um, worn off on me in a, a good way. And so we serve more than 700 people across Central and Southwest Virginia, and we worry about the physical health, especially of those who are at high risk for the coronavirus. Um, we worry about those who have mental health conditions, who are compromised during this time, who are mm -hmm. isolated, who have increased anxiety. Um, and so our leadership teams are really focused on nothing else but protecting our people. So both our staff and the people that we serve um, each day. You mentioned anxiety, right? That, that, that folks are within the, the populations that you serve, there are folks that are experiencing high degrees of anxiety. How does that look different than how I might be experiencing anxiety um, in my supported family and my supported community? Right. So a lot of the children that we work with, structure is really important to them and, and not go, getting to go to school has really taken away a lot of that structure. And so even if the word coronavirus is never uttered in their household, or if the television ever turns on, their worlds have been, you know, tipped upside down. And these are, yeah, these are kids, right. right, who've already been a lot of times removed from their biological families um, for, for abuse and neglect and, and other serious um, issues in their homes. So it, it just raises that level of uncertainty 
that these children have in their lives. We, we are prepared for these children to have increased needs for us, um, increased needs for our counselors who can't be with them, which is really tough. And so we're, we're really adapting to look at video platforms to be able to meet the needs of those children so that they can, and teens too, we have um, teens in, in apartments throughout Virginia who depend on a caseworker to really help them navigate this. And most of that is in person. And so we're really having to adapt to, to serve them. Is that independent living or group homes? What is that? So they are in independent living situations. So most of them live either in an apartment that we've helped them them get, or they are living in their on their own, maybe with friends. But those are kids who have aged out of the foster care system without a forever family. So they have, they don't have the natural supports most 18 year olds have, and they are navigating finding jobs, finding um, adequate housing, finding their next steps in their career education without anyone. And so that's where our caseworkers really help them learn how to program a thermostat and fill out a job application. And so you know, just like we're all learning to navigate a pandemic um, for the first time, our caseworkers are right there with them trying to help them enter adulthood as smoothly as possible. You know, one of um, one of my other colleagues who's an attorney uh, mentioned the social workers that she works with. Your social workers are still out there in the field, just like social services, correct? That's correct. They are adapting where they can to using technology to do some of those home visits. But when there's a crisis, they're going to have to be there. They're going to have to be in the trenches with those families. And we expect that while kids are out of school and while anxiety and these other um, issues are popping up for these families and kids, that we're going to have increased need for our social workers to be out in the community and helping these folks. One of the other questions we like to ask all of our guests is in this time, where are you finding your own shelter? What does that look like? So quiet time is pretty rare for me at the moment. Um, I love my husband and my children and my parents dearly, but we are all up in each other's business right now. So So you're locking yourself in the bathroom, you mean? Right. I have like this little (laughs) office basement that is like my solitude. And if I can get out and like take a walk by myself, that's pretty special too. But that's quiet moments are my shelter right now. That's awesome. We're asking every guest to highlight a nonprofit that's near and dear to their hearts. Who is that to you? I would say the DDXTRX Foundation. Um, It was started by two moms who, after they received the diagnosis for their daughters, immediately went into action. And I've been fortunate to be able to be part of their efforts in raising money awareness. And we were recently awarded a life changing grant from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative to help with our efforts. Um, 100% of the funds go directly to research with the goal to accelerate brain functioning and the individuals affected by DDX Rex syndrome. And then also, since I talked about DePaul, I'll plug them as well. Um, DePaulCR.org, great organization, really focused on helping um, vulnerable populations that a lot of people forget um, in our communities. And we are, we are there with those folks during this time and would appreciate other folks supporting them as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. The last question we ask everybody is, uh, we have a little, um, 
segment we like to do at the end of the show where we talk about the shelter in playlist. And so we want to know if you were to create your shelter in playlist, what is the song that would, would you would put on that playlist or what is the song that is giving you shelter right now? So I am going to honor MLN and she's one of her favorites because um, she loves dance songs, you know, the cheesy ones from weddings mm. and hers right now is Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling. And we are all slightly addicted to the like belly laugh that comes every time she sees his little face pop up on the YouTube app. So that, that would yeah. be our shelter and playlist song yeah, choice. That's, that's awesome. a good one. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you making time. I know that you've got a lot on your, on your plate right now and we're grateful. Hey, I'm grateful to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you. So as we come to the end of this episode, Alan, what's your shelter and playlist song? Um, well, so we talked about uncertainty and sort of dealing with that and sort of larger approaches to that. Uh, the song that came to my mind is by my favorite band, Thrice. Uh, they have a song called Stare at the Sun. Which yeah, is your a, favorite band's Thrice? No. Yeah, 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 no one would ever know that, uh, except for all the times I talk Are about them. Are you going to noodle them. in the studio? No one noodles to Thrice. Oh, it's more God. like a. See, I'm getting my noodle. Back in the day, it used to be like sort of a karate moshing kind of thing, but I don't think people do that anymore. <laughs> and I never did that in the first place. So. Sorry, interrupted. It's fine. Thrice. Uh, but so, anyway, Stare at the Sun is just a song about um, wanting to find understanding um, in the complications of this world and sort of uh, looking towards uncertainty and trying to trying to continue that search. And so, anyways, uh, I thought that was appropriate for this episode. That's mine. What about that's mine? What about yours? Um, as I am by Paperbird. Paperbird was this amazing band out of Colorado that we got to hear a couple times at Floyd Fest. And that particular song is like one of my like, you know, power anthems, um, because it talks about letting go of fear. And I think that's a certainly appropriate as we're talking about uncertainty. That's a good song. So, well, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, we will see you next time on Shelter in Place. Shelter in Place is an original podcast of Soul Group Media. It's produced by Joey Porch of Liquor Sickle Productions. The theme song was written and performed by Joey and Zella Porch. If you'd like to find more about the podcast or Soul Group Media, you can visit our website at soulgroupmedia.com. That's S-O-U-L-G-R-O-U-P-M-E-D-I-A, or find us on social media. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review wherever you find your podcast. Your podcast.